machine learning and deep learning uh, and AI to transform the data that they have into information, into uh, into knowledge. So you can recognize that it's a certain user. You can recognize that it's from a certain device and it's actually clicking something. Um, But it's not transforming it into an insight. And that's where still a challenge for us to link the user behavior uh, and the, the, the mindset to that certain knowledge and information. All right. I am here with Tim Tysa. Um, I'm Claire from Experiment Nation here. I'm here with Tim Tysa. He's a senior CRO consultant at Orange Valley. Uh, today, we'll be talking about the evolution of CRO um, and the importance of incorporating qualitative research into company-wide processes. Um, so thanks, Tim, for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you for having me. Um, so let's start off with a bit about you and your background, um, like what brought you into the world of CRO as it relates to what we'll be chatting about. Okay. Yeah, so um, it all started, I think, uh, around 2005 when I started as an interaction designer for a serious gaming company. Um, I just graduated from the Art Academy in Rotterdam, uh, Willem de Koning Academy, and uh, I was focusing on interaction design, and I was making serious games for the fire department and for the Marines and it's mm-hmm. like uh, um, I was responsible for thinking about the interaction with the mouse and then uh, translate that to an action, for instance, like using a chainsaw in a 3D environment. So that's where I started with the, the, the thinking about the interaction with, with the computer, interaction with, uh, uh, with the mouse and how can you optimize that. And also the user interface, where they click, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that was still a bit focused on how does it look like, how is the interaction going, not really on zero, right? So um, mm-hmm. after that, I worked for a, a company that's called North of Uitgevers, so that's a pub- publishing agency, and I was working for the uh, Mathematic Books in the Netherlands for the primary school and uh, I had to translate those um, the offline uh, exams to online exams so I was really focusing on that for the first I think eight years of my career and uh, after I've been working for uh, an an internet agency in Antwerp as well uh, internet architects it was called I was responsible for creating the design systems for uh, their clients and making websites for uh, sites like Carrefour and, and Nike. And mm. I returned back and I worked for the insurance company. And then I became a product owner for uh, websites for insurance companies in healthcare. It already shifted a bit from actually working on the interaction design into managing and thinking about the needs of the customer, but also thinking about the stakeholders within the company. And that's where it became interesting for me, but also 
less interesting because I'm not really working with the websites anymore. So I was really doing more project management and, and managing people instead of thinking about what should be on the websites. From that point, I decided I wanted to go back into the field and I wanted to uh, start uh, with the uh, so-called UX design role, uh, which didn't exist in 2000. But then in uh, <laughs> a couple of years later, there was a, a new role uh, called UX designer, uh, which really fit, fitted me as a glove because I was really focusing on visual and cool. how it looked like and, and interpret that awesome. for, for the customer experience. That was really awesome. And that's where I really got in, in touch with uh, CRO, actually. So uh, at that time, Tom Wesseling was still very active as uh, the, the directing role there, uh, together with uh, Tom van der Berg, who was working in my team um, for clients like Van der Vogue, for, for Ziggo, uh, KPN. Um, I started working for Online Dialogue and I got in touch with uh, the CRO, the, the psychological aspects of uh, um, persuasive uh, uh, designs and and nudging, so uh, um, I got in touch with uh, the, the Cialdini principles and uh, the conversion pyramid, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I really got um, excited by how you can help the users in going to the next step, and not only doing that visually, but also with the message that you're sending out as a mm -hmm. website or as a company. At that time, I still had epilepsy. So I used to have epilepsy since I was, I think, eight. So oh, wow. for quite quite a long time. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, <coughs> I got dizzy-like every day. And if I was wow. really active and if I was sporting, I could even have blackouts. So yeah, yeah, it was it was a time where I was really focusing on my health and seeing if we can uh, 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 get treatment for it. And I was able to do an operation where they treat me from, uh, they removed the source of the epilepsy from my, my brain. And wow. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and since oh, then, I, I didn't have any seizures at all. But I was convinced that CRO was something I really wanted to focus on. And that's when I started to um, help other companies with setting up CRO programs. You've been uh, working in CRO kind of over the evolution of it. Um, so I'd love to hear, um, you know, how has CRO evolved um, in your opinion uh, or your from your perspective and where do you see it kind of going in the near future? Um, actually kind of a third part to that question as I saw that we attended the same event on LinkedIn about uh, about GPT and how it, how, what its uses are in experimentation. Yeah, so I yeah, would love to, yeah. I mean, it's a super hot topic right now. So I would love to hear kind of how you see, what role you see that playing, um, you know, in the yeah. future of CRO. The future of CRO and uh, we have a lot of uh, uh, specialists in, in the fields, for instance, Tom Wesseling, uh, 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 saying that we have to focus on a culture of experimentation. And, and then you have Emmanuel de Costa saying that zero is dead um, and that we don't have to focus on zero. And if you read those statements, it, it might be contradictory, but mm -hmm. 
in the essence, they're stating exactly the same. And what they're saying is that um, it's not about being zero. It's not about a zero team that you have to put somewhere inside a company that you have to train. And, and it's not about um, that you have to decide how you set up your CRO, right? It, you might be a centralized team with um, um, uh, a multiple disciplinary team focusing on CRO, and uh, it might be a decentralized team where you have different working fields and they, own, they all have their own CRO specialist. Or you have a center of excellence and you just have power users in those teams, right? So that might also be a certain uh, uh, setup. But Don Wesseling is saying that there needs to be a culture of experimentation. And um, what he means by that is that it's, you have to change a certain mindset of everybody inside the company. And uh, what uh, Emmanuel is saying is the zero is that so it's not only zero, it's like the mindset of experimentation and, and always be optimizing that is important. This is Romo Santiago from Experiment Nation. Every week we share interviews with and conference sessions by our favorite conversion rate optimizers from around the world. So if you like this video, smash that like button and consider subscribing. It helps us a bunch. Now back to the episode. And I mean, getting too caught up in, in the acronym CRO is dangerous as well. Um, but what kind of potential challenges do you think companies might face when, you know, trying to adopt an experimentation mindset or as being one person trying to encourage uh, the company to adopt an experimentation mindset and yeah. how can we overcome or how can companies overcome those challenges? Uh, there are challenges in uh, three different uh, fields. So the first one is um, your strategy. So I'll come back to that later. The second one is uh, operation. So how do you uh, execute it? And, and the third one is, uh, 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 well, uh, uh, the technical part, right? So uh, um, then you come with AI, et cetera, et cetera, but also, also the challenge with first, uh, 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 First-party data and, and cookies, uh, uh, client-side cookies being being gone. Mm -hmm. And um, if I'm starting with the first one, the strategy part is this is really important to um, understand as a company that you have to decide what your program, your optimization program, should focus on. Is it on transformation? So do you want to learn from it? Do you want to optimize and improve your services and products? Or is it really focusing on transaction? So you really want to have um, more conversion rate. You want to have more people uh, um, going to the next phase in your user journey, et cetera, et cetera. So if you can decide what you want to focus on as a company, uh, you can also see that most of the time transaction is focused on short term. And transformation exactly. is focused on long, long term. So, if if that's program that you're running, or that that optimization uh, strategy that you're having is not a sync with the goals of the company and the metrics of the companies as well, I come back to that later. Is um, yeah, then you're already losing your battle. <laughs> so, besides being in sync with the roadmap of your company, with the roadmap mm -hmm. of uh, also the, the product teams, 
it's also important to have a common understanding on for what uh, metrics that you want to focus on. So if you're focusing on trans transaction, then most of the time it's conversion rate. Transformation might be um, a bigger goal, right? MPS, CSAT, uh, customer average score, more uh, uh, focusing on the total experience. And I'm seeing now that it used to be a CRO team focusing on web and then maybe a growth team focusing on email or other channels. Um, and now it's expanding. So it's not only the quantitative data, the, the, uh, but also the qualitative data is becoming more important. Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, this is something that I'm definitely passionate about and something that I use on it, you know, very heavily in my, my CROs or my testing strategies is surveying customers and, you know, uh, pre-purchase polls, stuff like that, or really give you like the, the reasons why people might not be purchasing, um, aside from just seeing that they're not, um, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely important. So how do you, I mean, aside from specifically testing strategies, how do you find, uh, companies incorporating like qualitative insights into their overall, um, uh, optimization or experimental mindset. So Beerwolf um, didn't really have had a customer centric approach, right? They really had a profit focused goal, um, but um, they changed their their mission and vision into being more of an experience. Also, having it the home draft machine at home being a more total experience. They had also were focusing on um, different metrics and uh, having a discussion with uh, the uh, um, uh, 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 with management. They uh, decided to uh, focus on the MPS score. So MPS score is of course a marketing metric, a net promoter score. Um, it's not really my favorite uh, metric, but I think it's something that multiple teams can work with and that's even more important than the actual metric that you have is having a common metric with different teams because if you have your silos uh, which in my opinion still exist in a lot of companies most of the time they have their own kpis and their own metrics and that's where they're focusing on and if that kpi is not contributing or might be even contradictory to the other uh, uh, silo then it's never going to work to uh, work together to have a total experience. So if you have a common KPI, then you can both focus on that and, and have more interaction within those two teams or other teams on how to cooperate with that and how to uh, um, work with each other. And that's the next step where um, you also can see a shift in the type of experiments that are coming because we had like last year and also this year, but it's already changing a little bit, is that we had really channel focused experimentation. That's I'm calling it. Um, uh, I'll be giving a talk on, on Digital Marketing Live as well about the different types of experimentation that I see coming. But we used to have only channel based, right? They have email that's doing A-B testing. Yeah, for instance, website that's doing A-B testing. 
um, but not really the interaction between each other because they both have different targets. Now, if you bring those uh, KPIs or targets together, they then there starts a discussion on how to improve it. And then you see that there's going to be experiments running on multi-channel level. And that's where it becomes interesting to see that, that it's not really being CRO and conversion focused on the website and conversion or click-through rate focused on email, but it's, get, it's getting wider. And that's why it's becoming the customer experience optimization. Uh, and that's where CRO is going to. So CRO is actually uh, um, still the, the mentality of experimentation, um, but CXO is being a broader way of experimenting within channels, but within user faces, etc. And then you can then you can or start even with uh, journey orchestration. So um, think about a certain kind of customer would like to be contacted differently. So you can do a different approach. That's where data comes in, and that's really important to have the right data to um, offer the best experience. Right. So you said CXO, that's customer experience optimization versus CRO. The optimization is never going to leave, right? But the conversion rate focus is. So that's why it's now the biggest focus of companies is CXO, is this customer experience optimization. And it's looking in a broader perspective on how to optimize within the company and not only within the silos that they have. Hmm, super interesting. So um, in terms of, you know, the new era of AI and machine learning, where do you see that kind of fitting into this customer experience optimization? Or do you I'm, see it helping in any way in the qualitative yes. aspect? Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm, I'm playing with uh, with AI as well, so I'm just seeing what it what it can do with customer reviews of clients uh, to see how we can apply different AI uh, uh, solutions. For instance, uh, um, use topic modeling, uh, uh, where you let AI decide what topics are important, and uh, sentiment analysis to uh, also see if. AI can recognize the sentiment in a certain review to uh, get an overview of what topics might frustrate customers and what topic users uh, really liked. So that's where you can focus and it can understand what your USPs are and what your pain points are based on the uh, feedback of your customers. Now, that's very interesting to focus on and to see how you can get that qualitative data um, in the same track or the same way uh, you would treat uh, the quantitative data. And last year and the year before, there are, were already a lot of tools using um, uh, um, machine learning and deep learning uh, and AI to transform the data that they have into information, and inf into information. Uh, uh, into knowledge. So you can recognize that it's a certain user. You can recognize that it's from a certain device and it's actually clicking something. Um, but it's not transforming it into an insight. 
And that's where still a challenge for us to link the user behavior uh, and the, the, the mindset to that certain knowledge and information. And that's where the actionable insights come in, where you can act upon as a company. I 100% agree. I think this might be, um, uh, you know, uh, controversial, but I do think in all the fields of marketing, I think, um, you know, CRO and optimization are one of the, the like safest industries in terms of like being replaced by an AI, um, just because it still requires so much you know, human interaction and decision-making and interpreting of like the insights that um, AI provides. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it, it's a bit, um, of course, it's a shame that some people might uh, need to change their habits in order mm -hmm. to uh, still keep their jobs. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it is, the, the world is changing, right? There's, there's a, a, a certain uh, um, wave coming where you need to adapt or you're uh, just uh, uh, lacking and falling behind. So it's really important as, as a company to um, play and ex explore the new functionalities and the new uh, um, possibilities they, that AI has to offer. And it's not that you have to really focus on everything that, that matters or that, that, that is, I mean, that um, is related to AI, right? Some, some solutions work and some solutions might not work. So uh, um, you have your, uh, uh, your mid-journey and your visualization AIs that might not even be interesting for you as a company. But if you're focusing on ChatGTP and you have actually uh, um, have a dialogue with your customers and you can improve that dialogue or, or uh, improve the speed of that dialogue and help them, then it's, of course, very interesting to focus on how you can reduce the, the amount of time that you have to spend uh, into uh, um, communicating with that customer. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, okay, let's circle back to the um, evolution of a CRO towards like an experimentation culture. Um, so you said step one is to kind of get all of the teams working together on a common KPI that's um, uh, directly relevant to the success of the business. What would you say like step two and beyond would be after that? I think that um, Lucas Vermeer stated it very well in one of his podcasts, uh, uh, that it's not always something that you have to uh, demand from, from above. Right, because mm -hmm. setting a, 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 a common KPI or common metric is something that has to be decided from management or C level, um, where you can have a, a, something to focus on. But um, next to that, there's also the the bottom to top uh, approach that you have that you can do as well, and that's where it becomes interesting to see if you can store those insights. Uh, not only in your eBay A/B testing tool, but store them something that is approachable for the entire company to use. So, next to having an optimization platform, you also need to create an uh, I'm calling it an insight platform. So, if you create a platform where not only the insights 
uh, and particularly saying insights and not results, right? Where the insights are coming into a platform and it's approachable for everybody um, from, for instance, your your growth marketing team, uh, but it's also getting qualitative insights for from your research team or your UX team. Then it creates a bigger understanding that everybody is trying to learn something and that that insights platform is the tool to start with. And uh, if you want to create something, it's interesting to see what is already available and what other teams already have uh, focused on. Is it a topic that's already been uh, uh, researched by in a different team? Is it something that you can utilize? Is it Are there insights in, in certain approaches for customers? Do we or does the other team already has personas, right? That might even be different sometimes. So yeah, that's that's the bottom-up approach where you create awareness of of a learning platform and it, that everybody can contribute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's super valuable and something I relate to. I've seen, I've noticed, I've had experience a lot of times with just siloed learning. So, you know, paid teams learning something from their ads, A-B testing and what keywords are working, what what language is working really well, and it not being communicated to the web, the web team um, in their copywriting um, and vice versa. So I think, you know, making insights that come from all of these different research avenues um, available company-wide is super valuable to everyone um, for sure. And I don't, I definitely don't think that it's um, practiced enough. What are some ways other than, you know, surveying people um, outside of kind of the web space, which is what I personally am familiar with uh, in terms of gaining or collecting qualitative research? What are some other ways, um, you know, that other aspects of the of the business can can take? Or how, yeah. how can other aspects of the business, you know, collect qualitative research? When I worked for that uh, retail company that was selling TVs, like the the Plata TV, Pantanel. Now I think now it's called Hello TV. Um, uh, we uh, just took our uh, took our forms and went to stores. They they had ten actual physical stores. So mm-hmm. it's also it was also possible for us to see how much traffic we were actually sending to that store and if it had a success by um, uh, tracking somebody's location and pushing them to to the nearest store. Um, but if they came to the store, then we had like uh, uh, two ways that we were doing user research. So the first one is um, how did you get here? That's the first question. Was it the website, yes or no? Uh, um, but uh, the second questions were, were following on uh, how their journey was and and, um, and how is the expectation of the, the store meeting up with what we're telling is on the website? Uh, because then you can think about the entire journey and also thinking about if it's in sync with, with what you're having on, on, on in the store. Um, so that was very interesting for us to see. And the second one is actually field research. So we, uh, they were developing a new website and we had some new ideas and we just went into the stores and asked people, right, what, 
uh, what do you prefer? Uh, uh, how do you like this this uh, this site? Or do you, do you like this? Do you find it more attractive or not? And I was just curious to know, you know, maybe there isn't another answer to this, but I was curious to know like what other ways there are of collecting qualitative research or qualitative insights from like other teams on, on a, in a, in a company, but I, I suppose you answered that question. So. Yeah. And also having uh, really getting in touch with your customer care team as well, mm -hmm. because they uh, are getting questions. Uh, they might have, um, uh, really uh, impactful feedback from customers. And it might not always be for the web, but it, it is something that you have to store in your learning environment or, or your, your uh, um, ideation process to see where it fits. Yeah, because if it's an actionable insight, it might not be for web, but it might be for logistics, for instance. Or product uh, development. Or, product yeah. development, especially stuff like, stuff like that. Yeah. And as for, for Beowulf, we um, uh, also noticed that, and because Beowulf is part of Heineken, and it's also sitting ne right next to Heineken, that um, we noticed there wasn't really an interaction between like the Heineken experience, so that's the Heineken Museum sitting next to it, and like the Beowulf with the home draft systems. But we did have, for instance, the systems standing in, in, in the museum there. So it's important to not think about only about online touch points, but also think about offline touch points. Because now they're experimenting with having QR codes in the museum next to the, the home draft systems to see if we can attract customers to our Beowulf uh, website and, and to interest them into purchasing a product for them uh, at home. I loved your take on how, you know, moving away from a siloed optimization or CRO focused strategy within a company and moving towards more of an experimentation culture. Um, I loved that, uh, the idea of, you know, sharing all of your insights across the company, um, so that everyone can utilize all of the work that everyone's done and, um, all of the insights everyone in the company has has gained and using that to help contribute to a common goal um, uh, was all super interesting. Keeping the optimization alive in the future of AI and um, yeah, this new era that we're in. Um, aside from that, is there anything else you wanted to tell us about? Anything you've got going on in your life? <laughs> yeah, I do have things going on in my life. So, uh, be, be, <laughs> besides, uh, besides uh, um, being a, a CXO specialist at Orange Valley, uh, I'm also a firefighter. So, uh, oh wow, uh, yeah, <laughs> and um, of course, working hybrid really uh, um, uh, empowered me to also pursue that, uh, like. A child dream of mine, which I weren't able to pursue because I used to have epilepsy, of course. Um, and and now when I work from home, I'm uh, allowed to uh, um, so uh, set my paper on and, and be uh, available for for any kind of uh, call or emergency call. That's uh, uh, yeah, that I have to come up for. 
Wow, that's really impressive. This is one of those things that have you ever played that icebreaker game where you have to tell yeah. like four <laughs> truth, uh, yeah, like yeah. four things, and one of them's a lie, and all of them are, are whatever. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. of them's true, all of them are lie. <laughs> that would be a really great one to bring up. So, um, so one thing so cool. uh, I want to add to that because um, being a firefighter really helped me get a certain focus and perspective on experimentation as well. So I'm not only oh. experimenting on the website, but also experimenting with what I like. So for instance, um, um, pursuing uh, um, that education of being a firefighter and, 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 and etc. But it uh, helped me because if you're training to become a firefighter, it's not only about fighting fires, right? It's not only about validation. It's not only about making uh, something that doesn't work or that's breaking down, making sure or preventing it from, from, from breaking down. It's also about the, um, the safety care that you do, right? You have your emergency access where you're doing like your pre-test and A-B testing. So if it doesn't work, you can just take the emergency exit. Uh, but you also have your weekly practice where you discuss the learnings with other other teams and other other uh, corpses to to understand what you can improve in your safety and how you can educate others to focus on your safety and, and for instance have your smoke detector in your house to um, already prevent the fire from happening right uh, <laughs> and that's how it turns out that it's not only for you as a firefighter to to uh, make sure that the fire is out, but also educate others on how to uh, uh, um, uh, put up your smoke detector in your house so you can already understand that something is going on, even though when you're not aware of that, it might have an effect in the future. Mm -hmm. Preventative. Wow, that's super interesting. Um, really cool. I think you might be, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a whole you know, branch of that, of people like you, but I think you might be the only person working in CXO or CSO who's a CRO who's <laughs> also a firefighter. <laughs> I, for what I know and now, I've, I haven't met anybody else. <laughs> so, so for now it's my, my, my personal branding and the USP as a, as a person, I think. Yeah. Uh, we put out fires will... on your website. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nice. Um, and I know you mentioned this a minute ago uh, or a short while ago, but you uh, said you were speaking um, at an upcoming conference. Yeah. So the, the 8th of June, there's a, a conference called Digital Marketing Live in Amsterdam. And uh, I will be speaking together with one of a good uh, client of us, the Heineken Experience. Um, and that part will be about the future of CRO. Um, also a little bit about the topics, that, or especially about the topics that we mentioned, but then um, I will also have some visual uh, support with the models and, and templates I'm using for that. Uh, and uh, um, uh, we will talk a little bit on how uh, the Heineken experience is working on being more customer centric, listening to the, the voice of the customer and using that as input for their optimization process. 
instead of only looking at data. Hmm. So that's a really interesting one if you want to uh, really understand where its uh, optimization is heading to in the future. I'm excited to try some Heineken and see if these, you know, experiments or optimizations are improving the the taste of the Heineken. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my partner's well, a brewer. Sorry. Oh really? Ahead. Yeah, he's a brewer, and so he he actually told me that a lot of Heineken is brewed, not. Uh, it's brewed. Where is it brewed? I don't know. Somewhere in, in South America or something. Yeah, yeah, there are different yeah. uh, different uh, 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 breweries. That's correct. Yeah, and uh, yes. and also, um, what is nice to to see if you are ever coming to Amsterdam with your partner is that they now have uh, um, an experience now has a studio uh, on top of their building, and it's called the the, the Heineken Studio where they have a uh, roof terrace. And that's where they are experimenting with different flavors. So at the bar, you can have um, uh, your your Heineken beer cocktails. So um, mm. they are selling beer cocktails now and see how uh, the audience of the Heineken experiences is. If, if they're liking it and if they should pursue uh, um, making uh, different mixes of, of, of beer and flavors together. Hmm, interesting. I like that. Well, we can uh, <laughs> diversify their data sample a little bit yeah. if us Canadians show up there. <laughs> um, well, it was amazing talking to you and meeting you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, um, I'm sure we'll be meeting again uh, if we're in the experimentation world. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Well, thank you so much and have a good uh, rest of your evening. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.